Welcome everyone to the C2R podcast. Uh, this is our next installment. Uh, today we're actually going to be looking at the first step is what I was originally going to be talking about, but uh, we're going to be going over basically the steps of the program. But I did want to ask one question that I didn't even think about mm-hmm. is that most people know about addiction, but do they really know about addiction? Mm-hmm. What's the identifying markers of a classic addiction case? Well, the identifying markers, let's, let's take the word addiction for example, in Latin, it means addictus, to surrender to the gods, little g. So that's an interesting uh, form of the word addiction. But class, the markers are just obsessing. You cannot get the thought of whatever it is out of your mind. It's just you obsess. It's like a needle in the old records. when It develops a, a groove or a rut in there. And, and uh, the other part is so, that, so to relieve the mental agony... You uh, participate or partake in that particular uh, behavior, meth addiction, gambling, porn, uh, whatever it is, to relieve the mental stress. I mean, or mental agony, excuse me. It's it's torment. And that cycle just repeats and gets worse. You build tolerance. So you need more. You got to mix and match. And and now you're starting to steal, lie, cheat. You, uh, all your morals and values that you once had that you'd never do. You, you lower the bar because you already blew it. So you say, well, at least I'm not using a needle or at least I'm not stealing or, you know, you try to justify to offset the extreme guilt and shame and remorse. And, you know, so there's a couple of the markers is being obsessed and having the uh, behavior, which is the uh, compulsion compulsion. Okay. Well, um, I guess we want to start with that first step there, but you got a verse going to read, or I guess I'll well, turn to yes, wheel Travis. We at Call to Recovery, we use the Life Recovery Bible along with Alcoholics Anonymous. We call it the Big Book, and we also use the NA Narcotics Anonymous textbook. And step one in our program, it's uh, we admitted we're powerless, not helpless, but we're powerless over, and it's blank for a reason. Fill it in, and that our lives are unmanageable. So, for instance, uh, in Romans 7, uh, and I'll read out the New Living Translation, Romans 7, verse 15 says, I really don't understand myself. Now, this is Paul, who saw Jesus face to face. So it's like, come on, you can't be struggling, right? I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right. You know, pay my bills, uh, raise my kids, go to work, be a great neighbor and all that. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So in one verse, Paul's saying, I really want to do what's right. I know right from wrong, but instead I do what I hate, not what I dislike. You know, it's a strong word, hate. Then we also look at verse 18 in Romans 7. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is my sinful nature. He reiterates here, he says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And so if I was talking to someone right there, I would just ask them, can they relate? Can they relate to a fact that they told themselves, I don't want to do this no more. But something trivial comes up and they do it anyway. Uh, You've got a pocket full of money. You're going to pay bills. And instead, your car has a mind of its own. It goes to the, let's say, the the game room or the dope house or the liquor store. So Paul says in verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life that when i want to do what is right i inevitably do what is wrong see people can stop but the question is can they stay stopped and if they're honest the answer is no you know so 
It says uh, in verse 23, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So we, we want folks, that's where we get the generic start, higher power, but that's step two. We'll get there eventually. But we're trying to let them know that we got to admit there's a problem before we can apply a solution. We got to get them to admit, not, not to save a marriage, not to save a job, or, you know, no, to, to come to grips with that person looking back in the mirror and say, I got a problem and I need help. So that's what we take with step one. We use that particular scripture to say, if you're struggling, you're in good company. <laughs> Being in company with Paul, you know, who wrote most of the New Testament, that's pretty good company. But that's that, that particular verse, when I always hear it, I'm always kind of like, I know I'm, you're, you're saying that that's the very first verse that you look at. And I always turn back to that verse when I say, why am I doing what I'm doing? Oh, yeah. And I'm just, I'm not even talking about my addiction. I'm just talking about in the regular world. I mean, I'm doing things that I don't need to be doing instead of reading my Bible. Why mm-hmm. do I want to read my Bible, but I don't read my Bible for the reason. I get distracted by whatever the, whatever's going on. And so it's one of those things where it's not, it applies to everybody. That particular verse is, mm-hmm. is so well-rounded. But do, you, but do you do what you hate? See, a lot of times the addict knows that they hate because their kids are gone. They've lost them. All they had to do was, you know, stay clean and sober. And they really hate uh, or their pro- parole's revoked or probation. All they had to do is pass the drug test. And, they you know, so and where, where Paul said in, uh, if I can back up a minute, in verse 23, it says, uh, there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. In Alcoholics Anonymous, page 23, it says, Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic or addict centers in his mind rather than in his body. So the, correla- the parallel is there. They're all, we're all agreeing. There's a problem with, with the way we think. Because what we've learned is uh, as we think, we act, and the sum of all our actions equals our life, you know, to that point. So we're trying to say if your life, if your uh, thoughts are a little cleaner, perhaps your behaviors are a little healthier and your life in general is cleaner, healthier. So we're saying garbage in, garbage out. We're trying to get them into the point of let's, let's get with the mind and deal with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, speaking of the mind, let me read something out of Alcoholics Anonymous one more time on page 30. Uh, the chapter is called More About Alcoholism. It says, most of us, you know, the majority of us have been unwilling to admit we were the real alcoholic addict. So we don't want to admit because then I'm less than. See, what do you mean you can't handle your beer, your liquor, or that little chemical has got a grip on you? I mean, see, we don't admit that. I got people that don't get a hearing aid. They don't want to admit they need one, you know? So anyway, it says no person likes to think he or she is bodily and mentally different from their fellows. Therefore... It is not surprising that our drinking or drugging or whatever the addiction is careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove it says we could drink or like other people. See, the idea that somehow, someday, somewhere, I'll be able to control and enjoy that behavior is the great obsession. There's that word obsession of every abnormal drinker. It says the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And the very next paragraph just sums it up. It says, we learned that we had to fully concede, fully. We got to admit it. We got to accept it to our innermost selves. It says that we were alcoholics or addicts. 
This is the first step in recovery. So that little paragraph and a half breaks it down real nice. It says, we learned. And a lot of times it's the hard way. Right. That's why it says we hit bottom because that bottom says, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't want to live this way no more. So walk me through the process of a, of a person that, let's say that they... They've had their discussions with their families. Mm-hmm. They've realized they've made a mistake. They realize they have a problem and they want to seek help. They don't know where to go. And of course, we try to spread enough mm-hmm. information out there so people know where that there's a choice out there somewhere for them mm-hmm. to go. So let's say you do finally get someone into a meeting. When they, I know that I mean, we all have that, that stigma of, mm-hmm. hi, my name is Travis and I'm an addict right. or I'm an alcoholic, whatever the case may be. But walk us through a step at a call to recovery meeting. How, how do you go about identifying someone that's new to the program that you don't even know, you've never met for, and then walk it off the street? How do you approach them? Well, we welcome them. We're glad they're there. We don't ask too many questions. We're just glad they're there. We let them get comfortable and, and become, we want them to know it's a safe place that, you know, what we say there is going to stay there, you know, anonymity and all. And we just want to share the grace and the love and the compassion and forgiveness and mercy that we found. We just want to share it and let them know that all equals freedom because of our relationship with Jesus. But sometimes you can be too much. And remember, we got to keep it at salt level, not meat level. And sometimes we just got to let them see that there's another way to live and you can laugh and have a great time without chemicals. And so that's that'd be the first meeting, and we encourage them just to keep coming back, you know, about four or five times, because initially it, you're right, the stigma, it, 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 the pride too, you know, it goes right before fall. So that pride and stigma together, it's like, oh, I'm not one of them. I still have a job. I got a family. I got a company car out there. I'm no addict. Or I'm no. But if it'll get so and so off my back, I'll go. You know. So we just hopefully they'll hear their story or hear the solution. Or, the, or God will speak to them, and they'll see, hey, these guys aren't so bad. It's just an hour of my time. Sure, be sitting in jail or prison or divorce court. So, Right. Yeah. And so it may take you a few meetings for you to identify right. what the particular issue is, what their addiction is. But once they identify mm-hmm. that they do have an issue, once they, if they take the initiative to say, hey, I do have a problem, yeah. and they're ready for that next step, and they have to admit that they have that problem. Now the door's open. It's cracked. Yes. But how do you, okay. as a person, handle those situations? Well, now we, we talk to them, you know, privately. Nobody wants to have their business all out for everybody here. And, of course, we have our Alcoholics Anonymous. We call it a big book. And we have the Life Recovery Bible. We like to get that in their hands. We like to make sure they have some tools for their journey. And the other part is a sponsor. Somebody's been there, done that. Who knows where to step, when to step, and what to expect from the steps. And we call a sponsor now. It's like an acronym. If you were to spell it out, sober person offering newcomer suggestions on recovery. That's, that's all a sponsor is. It's not a suggestion on your marriage or finances. No, it's just on your recovery. So then we'd talk to them and we'd, we'd help them see to reinforce the the step itself, like I read there, it's saying you're not a bad, you're not that you're bad or good, right or wrong. It's just we're struggling, and it's by nature we need help. We need a relationship with the Lord, and and that's where we try to get them to ultimately. But uh, we we just love them, 
Because uh, I know if you go come on too strong, they're going to run. Right. If it's too much church, they're going to say, well, if church would have worked, then I'll just go to church. They need to be at a place where like-minded individuals are trying to learn how to live. And then when they found the solution to share it with them and uh, just share, you know, what worked, what didn't work. And hopefully they'll hear their story, like I say, and uh, somebody that, and, and then they'll, uh, typically they'll want something that the, some members of the group have. They'll want to laugh again. They'll want that freedom. They'll want that joy. So, and then they want to know, how did you guys get this? So. And so once you get to that step, once that person is recognized they've had that issue, they start working with their sponsor. Mm -hmm. They start the battle, the long uphill battle. Now, I've often heard that it's not a progression automatically to step two you keep working at step one every single day yes and then step two you build on top of step one you can't just move on there no. is no moving on to the next step does that sound well, accurate well yeah because like for instance uh in the they use the word allergy initially they didn't use the word sin they didn't use the word uh willpower they use the word allergy in the doctor's opinion here in other words if you're allergic to something, you understand powerlessness. You know, I'm allergic to poison ivy. I get it. It doesn't matter. I can come up with all the willpower I can muster. It ain't going to matter. I'm powerless over it doing what it's going to do. So we try to share the allergy part that it, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. Every day you wake up and realize I can't touch it. I can't play any games. Lord, help me. You know, that's that's where step one comes in. I'm. I admitted I need help. I'm powerless over it. It ain't changing just because I got four days clean and sober. So that's where we use Narcotics Anonymous. They say one is too many and then a thousand is never enough. It means it don't matter now. It don't matter. You're not going to get enough. So. Okay. All right, Dan. Um, any final words on step one? No. Well, before we can apply the solution, we got to admit there's a problem. So that we got to admit it. I mean, I can be led to admit it, and God can. Uh, in Joel 2.25, the Lord says, I'll restore to you what you lost. You know, I'll restore to you what you lost to the, he goes on to mention the hopping locust, the stripping locust, the, you know, whatever type locust. It says, it was I who sent this great army against you. In other words, to get your attention. We tell them, the Lord doesn't want your kids or your freedom or your, he wants your relationship. Yeah, he'll use CPS and, uh, homelessness and divorce court. He'll use all that and safe P in prison, but only because he wants a relationship. And that's the part we want folks to see when you say, I got a problem. You know, I was reading uh, Romans seven. I didn't finish it. Paul goes on to say, Oh, what a miserable person I am. You know, uh, my life in uh, my life is unmanageable. That's second part of step one, basically who will free me from this life that is dominated by jails, institutions, and death, if you will. Verse 25 of Romans 7 says, Thank God the answer, the solution, is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes on to say, So you see how it is in my mind? I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So we got to apply some kind of program to break that there. So we're no longer a slave. We're set free. And that's what step one does. It gets, it opens the door, it cracks open, you know, so we can apply a solution. 
Okay. All right. Well, that's that's about the best definition I can have of step one. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that we can get that out there. So address it. That. Yeah, yeah because, we got to I mean, address it. When it breaks down to it, I mean, some people might even know that's step one. They may, they may not even know at all. Well, like you're going down the road, I'm powerless over worry. I'm powerless over overspending. I'm powerless over pornography. I'm powerless over whatever it is where you're where you're powerless. You tell yourself over and over, I'm I'm not going to participate in gambling today. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Next thing you know, you for those that are so so inclined, they got a scratch off ticket, and that's it. And the rest of the day, they call off. They call in sick. They go to the game room somewhere or the right. uh, the deal in Oklahoma, the um, casinos, whatever. Or the boats. You know, it's just a simple one is too many. It's not, you don't sit there and say, well, I only had a, a, a beer today. Mm-hmm. But you keep that attitude up and it's it's not long, slippery slope, as they say. You will slide into trouble. All right. Awesome, Dan. Thank you so much for walking through step one with us. Uh, join us next time as we move on. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, next time we, we're going to go to step two, but I do believe next time we've agreed that we're going to have a uh, interview with um, a success story. That would so, be good. Someone that's worked the program, come to our groups, and what's the difference? Yes, absolutely. They can share the difference. A success story. So mm-hmm. we're going to share a success story with you on the next podcast. So thank you for joining us, and y'all have a good day. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Dan. <laughs>